This is the Wellness Puzzle Podcast with Andrew Jobling, author, speaker, educator, entrepreneur, and AFL player. Join Andrew as he continues his lifelong journey as a student of human behavior. This podcast will help you live your passion, explore your potential, step into your power, and embrace your possibilities. Your possibilities. Possibilities. Hello, this is Andrew Jobling, and welcome to the Wellness Puzzle Podcast for another week. Oh my gosh, what a wonderful conversation I have had with Dr. Liz. Dr. Liz Wilson, who is an Australian living in the US, doing amazing things in the space of diversity and inclusion. In fact, her label is Include with Dr. Liz. She's having a really positive impact, and she moved to the US so she could increase that impact, and she certainly is doing it. Her journey is a very inspiring one and a bit of a heartbreaking one, and it really has reinforced her passion and her purpose to make inclusion such a passion to make sure that this message gets out to the world and so that every single person can feel included and loved and okay. So this is a wonderful conversation with Dr. Liz. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy it. Hello, Liz Wilson. How are you? I am well, Andrew Jobling. How are you? Should I say Dr. Liz Wilson? (laughs) Or just Dr. Liz. It sounds way hotter. Doctor. (laughs) It does sound way hotter. (laughs) You've got to be careful. You're going to melt the snow out there in Denver, Colorado, if you're not careful. Yes, it is snowing outside. It's snowing for my birthday today. Is it your birthday today? Yeah, it is. Oh, it's like the my... universe knew it was my birthday and it delivered snow for me. Gosh, well, happy birthday. Thank you. So just so people know when and how to send you birthday greetings, today is in the US, it's the 27th of Correct. March. In yes. Australia, it's the 28th of March. But so your yeah. birthday is the 27th of March and clearly you're about 25 years old. Yeah, so they should all get out their phones now and type it into their calendars so every year it comes up as Dr. Dr. Liz's Liz birthday. birthday. You're welcome to hit me up on LinkedIn, wish me happy birthday as much as you like, uh, and continue from this day forth to wish me happy 47th birthday. We will not get any older than this. You are so not 47. Have a look at you, for goodness sake. It must be those snow angels you do out there in the snow that keeps you young and building snowmen. Or the Zoom filter. I don't know, one or the other. (laughs) I go the Zoom filter. Well, the good news is this is audio only, so people can't, well, it's a shame they can't see. Thank you, Dr. Liz. I don't think I'm going to call you Dr. Liz. I'm just going to call you Liz. Call me Liz. (laughs) I think it's nice to have the titles, but that's not who you are. You are Liz. I am Liz. At the core. Exactly. That's not your identity. You are an amazing person behind the doctor. Hmm. The person behind the doctor. That's what we're going to find out, and that's what Ooh. we're going to learn about today. We're I, going to I get. Want to know, deep. I want to know about myself behind the doctor. Ask we're, me. I want to find out. Let's we're delve. Going to, we're going to get deep into Doctor Liz today, which is going to be fun. So, Liz, you're clearly not an American. You are an Aussie. What are you doing in America? Long story short, had been working in diversity and inclusion research and working with organisations in Australia and Asia Pacific for about five years, and then I'm like, if I'm really going to leave a legacy on this world. You know where the biggest market is with the most problems is the US. And essentially, that's the nutshell. We moved here just over a year ago. It was almost like starting my career again. Yeah, I can imagine. You're starting your networks again and building uh, and establishing relationships. And it's just starting to hit some stride now. Yeah. So that's why. And you're glad you moved? Yes. Was it a bit of an adjustment period? I can imagine. Yeah, there was. Yeah, there certainly was. And even getting here, I realized in what I do, I needed to 
I thought the US would be further ahead in diversity and inclusion strategic work or transformation work. I, I don't know why I assumed that, but I did. And I was shocked that they weren't as far as I thought. And I had to pivot and sort of take a step back and meet the market where it is. So I really had to change my approach initially so that I can sort of get by. So you're the trailblazer in the US, the Aussie in the US, the trailblazer in diversity and inclusion. Yeah, I do do it very differently. And it can become quite confronting when I meet with, let's call them chief diversity officers or the equivalents. And they'll be like, oh, that's not how I do it. And I get a lot of pushback. And I understand why, because it's disruptive. But at the end of the day, all my research shows we haven't made enough stride based on the amount of time, effort and money that has been spent on inclusion. So we have to differently. All right. So let's go right back to basics here, Dr. Liz. Let's do basics. Let's describe, explain, define diversity and inclusion. Just because they're words that are bandied around and you hear them all the time. And if I'm being perfectly honest, I'm a footballer. I was beaten around the head a lot. So I just need the kindergarten explanation. Is that cool with you? I have seen the Will Smith movie uh, Concussion. So I'm totally up on whatever this acquired brain injury thing is. Yeah, if you you see me just dribbling at the mouth and twitching, you know (laughs) why. You are right. A lot of these words have become merged. They kind of have lost their independent meanings from each other. So diversity is about the difference and it's about not just the difference. It's not about having just one different type of person versus another. It's about the variety of difference that you might have in the room. So not just men and women, it's men, women, different ethnicities or races they use in the US, Indigenous, neurodiversity, illness, veteran status, and I probably missed a whole bunch. You missed gender is the big one at the moment. Yeah. And, you know, actually I'll just quickly tap onto that before I uh, go on to the definition of inclusion. Lots of people are talking about gender inclusion and here's the thing. They think it's about women and about including more women, but gender diversity and inclusion is about all genders. So it is all, it's about that whole spectrum. Uh, and there's gender. a lot of them that totally confuses me. And at the end of the day, we don't need to understand it if it's not for us. We just need to understand that others have different gender identities and that's okay. And so it's not about us policing someone else's identity. And I often get that as a question. I don't get it. Why does everyone have to have a different identity? Well, in fact, they probably always did. Like for thousands of years, how we felt was there. It's just whether it was socially acceptable to acknowledge that about ourselves. But that was off topic. So... That's okay. We can go off topic. The great thing about this podcast, Liz, is who cares where it goes because it'll always go somewhere great. I get nervous because my neurodiversity means I talk in brainstorm. Like I could just all over the walls, but not everyone's like that. So I try really hard to keep my brain on a bullet point list. That's all right. I'll get you back on track if you need a bit of tapping back into the right path. But you're doing great so far. Okay, great. So that was diversity. Yes, Inclusion is about what we do to enable diversity to thrive. So the thriving is everything around performance, engagement, belonging, all those other things we talk about with engagement. But inclusion is the actions we take, the decisions we make, the processes and systems we put in place. It's how we make it work. And it's not just for organisations. I mean, this is life because every day you walk out your front door, every day you get on social media, every time you look at anything, 
there's diversity everywhere and they're placed with their diversity, ethnicity, they're placed with all sorts of diversity every single day. And as you know, living in Australia, I live in Melbourne, it's an incredibly diverse yeah. city in every and no one, no one is just one identity either. That's the thing. You know, I get really, I do have a real bugbear. I get so annoyed when people are so connected to this, let's do gender inclusion, let's do Indigenous inclusion, let's do LGBTQI inclusion, and I can go on down the Forever. list. yep. But no one is just one label. That woman could also be Indigenous and gay and have a disability and be a carer and have a learning disability and be neurodiverse. So these programs or initiatives or interventions, if they're so focused on one identity, they're missing out on the whole person. So that's what I do differently. Okay. I look at the whole person. Oh, I love that. So why are you excited? You're <laughs> vibrating right now, Liz. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. You are melting snow there. What they call it, this is my jam. This is your jam. Why are you so excited about it? What gives you so passionate about this? Because I know it works. I know that what I have designed or authored or created, I don't know what, invented, I don't know what word you want to use, I know it works. I know it creates inclusion. So if anyone is listening and they have sort of researched or done some homework in the diversity inclusion space, there's a word called intersectionality. Now, I'm not a big fan of adding lots of new big words. Okay? Like I just think it makes it harder for people. But it's an important term to describe what I talk about is that we're all more than one label. So it was initially created by someone called Kimberly Crenshaw. I'm going to say in the 80s. And it was initially used to describe the difference in experience of a black woman in contrast to a black male. So not all black people have the same experience in the US because gender makes a difference. Mm. So they have kind of a similar experience. They have shared some experience with white women because of their gender, but they also yep. have some black experience. So that's intersectionality. But for the last, I can't believe I'm saying 40 years since the 80s, how old are we? Oh. Um yeah. The 80s, I, I just, the good old days, hey? My, that's my favourite playlist on my phone. Of course. Um, yeah. So the problem is, is no one has found a way to bring intersectionality into inclusion work because it seems so complicated. So that's what my research was, was unpacking all of that and making a really practical, operational. Well, simplifying, yeah. basically. That's what you're doing. You're doing a lot of work to simplifying something that is way too complicated and People get so much effort to complicate things, don't they, when really that should be simple. And so what we're going to do, Dr. Liz, is we're going to have a quick break. And what I'd love, and I'm already trying to work out where this conversation is going because, I mean, it's been an awesome start, but I know people want to know how to be more inclusive with mm. living in a diverse population. So we'll talk more about that, and I want to hear more about you okay. after this short break. Everyone has a book inside us waiting to be written and Adri Jobling can unleash the hidden author in you. Have you ever wanted to become a successful author and impact many lives? Andrew will support, guide and mentor you through the entire process and help you leave your legacy for the world. Contact Andrew for a free 30-minute chat about the influence you want and can have. Go to andrewjobling.com.au to find the author in you. Liz, you have had some challenging situations in your life, haven't you? Mm, we all have. Yeah, of course we have. But you're in the spotlight at the moment, birthday girl. So, mm. 
as I said, I'd love to know a bit about the person behind the Dr. Liz, because there's always a reason why we go down a path. There's always a reason that fuels our passion, our purpose. There's always something that happens in our life or something that triggers this, I must follow this path. Yeah. I think for most people that are on a mission, there's something that's happened, some kind of experience in their life personally that has really shaken them up yeah. and cleared the mist and they go, wow, this is where I need to go. So if you don't mind just telling us a little bit about your journey and some of the things you've had to deal with and how that sort of sure. shaped this wonderful Dr. Liz I see in front of me. <laughs> it's certainly not a linear path. I uh, will say that. And in fact, there's probably two real defining moments for me, one very recent and one about five or six years ago. So five or six years ago, I dated someone that was deaf, observed the discrimination that they experienced and had normalized. They thought everyone experienced life like that. And it wasn't so much about their discrimination as it sparked a self-exploration on who am I in the context of inclusion and discrimination and this diversity thing. I mean, I had had nothing to do with it. I thought I was a really inclusive person. Mm. And so I looked at my own identities and where that fits in, where I add to it or take from it in terms of privilege. And I actually had thought, if you said, have I experienced discrimination in my life? I would have said, no, I'm fine. I've nailed it. It's all good. And then you go back and there's these experiences like when I fell pregnant at the end of my university degree, undergraduate, and I had one of those graduate roles with one of those big four consulting firms and found out I was pregnant. So I told them and they said that they were withdrawing the employment offer. And today that would be illegal. But then yeah. I actually just went, okay. <laughs> I just thought, fair enough. But you look back now and you go, how did that change the trajectory of my career and my earning potential and yeah. whatever else? So what it did you do there? If we go back into that, so you had this job, obviously a good job. Yeah. And then they said, no, nah, you've lost it now because you're pregnant. So well, where did you my go My mum employed go, me. Oh, don't you love mums? Yeah. Uh, she was a really freaking tough boss. She is amazing and told me a lot about how to work effectively, but she was a tough boss. She was hard work. But- she certainly was my lifeline at that point. So there's that point. But throughout my career, there have been times when I had reached significant roles like HR director, reporting to a CEO, sexually harassed multiple times. You know, I didn't accept any of his advances. And when it became very clear he was never going to be successful, he fired me. And after six months, it broke me, stole my mojo, a whole bunch of stuff. And even though he broke so many laws, I was like, where do I spend my energy, fighting that or just moving on? Yep. And there are times when I've been on projects where there's someone next to me who's a male who's earning $800 more a day doing exactly the same job as a consultant or external contractor. And that's just me, like just me who thinks they have never been discriminated against. Yeah. So then you layer all that up and that's where some of that passion's come from. But more recently, and I have to say, moving here has been, you start to question, am I going to be successful at this? Like. I believe in this, but a little self-doubt creeps in. Mm. And it was with the death of my son in January, just so if we're in March now, actually two months to the date today. On the 27th of January, my son died by suicide. And I took a few weeks off, but at his core, writing the eulogy for him, at his core, he was inclusive. If anyone had been in that funeral, 
the diverse representation of identities was off the charts. You know, he just liked everybody and everybody liked him without any judgment. So I know that he would want me to continue doing this work. Yeah. And that's where it's, I've been reinvigorated. Yeah. And thank you for that. Wow. Two months. And I know when we actually first connected, it was about four weeks ago, wasn't it? Yeah. So it I think only- I was still teary. I think I was still in the. Yeah. So now are you cool with me asking you some questions about this? Yeah, let's go. You said he liked everyone and everyone liked him. What do you think he ended his life? Oh, he was an addict. So he was clean for the last eight weeks of his life and he fought with everything he had and that was it. He didn't have anything left. Okay. Couldn't do it anymore. Time to go. And again, apologies. You can tell me to stick it up my bum anytime you like. Where did that addiction start? How did that start? Why do you think that became an exploration? He yeah. was just out of curiosity. He was very curious. I raised two very independent thinking children because I think curious, independent children become interesting, curious, independent adults. But Dom just loved risk, pushing boundaries. He explored and it got on top of him. Yeah. And just like any addict, he was in denial that it controlled his life. He was in and out of rehabs and detoxes. And anyone that would think would think that we didn't know suicide was coming or on the cards. I had multiple conversations with him over multiple years telling me he had suicidal thoughts. And the only reason that he hadn't committed suicide is because he didn't want to hurt me. And this conversations weren't that simple, obviously. No, of course but, not. Of course not. But it was a repeated conversation. And so, I mean, at the end of the day, it just did get on top of him and it was the cause of mental illness. So, you know, like a lot of people made assumptions when they heard that my son had died by suicide, that it was mental health that did that. Mm. And my argument would be it started with drug abuse yep. and yep. drug addiction. And then whatever it did to the chemical makeup of his brain, he just didn't have anything left to battle the addiction disease. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot. How are you with Um, it? Yeah, it's interesting. I have very high anxiety, like medicated as that's just me as a baseline. So it's interesting this last couple of months has been, I think I've said to people, This is the first time I've ever hated my anxiety. I've resented it. I'm angry at my anxiety because any time I would do any grief pressing or try to think about things and try to sort of be responsible about moving through grief, my anxiety would rise. And then you've got to let go of the grief thought and battle the anxiety because the last thing I want is a panic attack, right? So I've got to go fight the anxiety. Yeah. Like I kept pushing this grief processing away. And I don't know if you can see this, Andrew. No one else can see. I can see his tattoo, beautiful rose tattoo. Yeah. Yeah. So I um, started that about three weeks ago. It was like nine hours in the chair. Ah. (sighs) And I had no idea this would happen for me, but the pain of the tattoo took away my anxiety in the moment and allowed me to process grief cognitively. Ah, interesting. And so in the first sitting, I probably only the last hour allowed myself to go there. So I was really excited last week for the final five hours because in that moment, I went straight into meditation mode and I allowed every grief thought to come into my mind, felt no anxiety, 
and started to really be able to think and start processing. And since then, since Thursday, I'm now back to having too many thoughts about Dom, like I did in the early days. But the early days post his suicide, it was like I couldn't manage the thoughts. Whereas now I'm having the thoughts flooding, but I'm able to let them come in and then release without any anxiety. So this tattoo wow. has been life-saving. Go the tattoo. Yeah. The power of the tattoo mm-hmm. to get rid of um, anxiety. And one of the things is like, you know, I could have hidden that. I could have put it somewhere where somewhere in a professional situation no one will see. But if anyone meets me, they know I wear my heart on my sleeve. And and your rose tattoo as well. Yeah. So where better place to put representation of my son? Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that, Liz. I really appreciate that you've really opened up. And I think what you've just done, and this is why I sort of dig into people's stories a little bit, is because what you've done is you've just included, without probably even knowing what you were doing, so many more people into this conversation. Anxiety is such a common thing. I've lived with anxiety. I still live with anxiety. I reckon 99% of people are relating to you. And people would look at Dr. Liz and go, wow, look at what she's doing. Look at what she's done. She's this amazing speaker, facilitator, coach, all the things you've done. And they look at you and go, I could never be like that. But what you've just done is you have just related to people because you're not perfect. You've got challenges. You've got issues. You'd have to deal with it every single day. Now, not necessarily suggesting everyone runs out and gets a tattoo unless that's what they want to, but I think what you've just done is you've just inspired and empowered a whole group of people to go, I'm okay. You are okay. And there's always a way. So tattoo is not going to be for everybody, but keep searching for those. If we're talking about grief, keep working until you find something that works to help you process and move forward. I guess the way I described it is finding something that it was like it opened a gate for me. I moved through a gate onto another stage, whatever that is. I don't know. I'm not following the grief cycle. I just feel like I've gone to another yeah. stage. Yeah, the um, grief cycle. But with anxiety, I used to sleepwalk across roads when I was wow. a teenager. And, and that's all stress-related. I've had panic attacks since university, doing exams. I don't know. Like I, It's just embedded in me. So you can do it, I promise. You can. And when we first chatted, I jotted down a couple of things. One of the things Mm. you said was finding joy in the dark times. What helps you find joy in these dark times? Because they're dark times for you right now. Look, I'm probably really fortunate that I, I know they use the terms optimist, realist, all that kind of stuff. I do tend to always look for the good. I always do kind of think things happen for a reason. Not always directly, but I always think that maybe this happened because something else is destined to happen. So if I believe I have control over my destiny, but I still think there's some universal energy happening for me. Mm. But in terms of finding joy, because sometimes it doesn't look like there's any, it can be as simple as, like, for instance, this morning, it was my birthday. It is the first birthday without my son here. And that could make it a really easy way for me to have a melancholy day. Mm. But I got up and I opened the windows and there was the magic of snow outside and just spending moments of just going, oh, my God, I love this snow. I am grateful for this snow. And I know people talk ad nauseum about being grateful, 
But I do think joy comes from being grateful for what you have. And the more grateful you are, the more good that comes. So I do have to say, though, it almost feels like Dom delivered it about four days after his funeral. My um, journal article was published on my methodology for inclusion. And I almost couldn't celebrate it. You know, you're just like, do I have a right to celebrate what I've been working on for five years, finally being peer-reviewed and published? And you have to acknowledge that you are still a human. Like Dom was part of me, but not all of me. Being a parent is part of me, but not all of me. And so it's okay in moments of darkness to allow yourself to feel the pride or the joy or the excitement. Because if you don't, you're just going to wallow and not let yourself move forward. That's a great point too, isn't it? Every day there's going to be joy, but every day there's going to be challenges. And Mm -hmm. where do you give your attention? If you just give your attention to the grief or the challenge, you're going to be a miserable person that Mm -hmm. no one wants to be around and not feel guilty about finding joy, even when you're grieving or even when some challenges happened in your life. And that's a hard thing. I remember when I lost my mum almost 20 years ago now and I was just miserable. No one could make me smile and nothing would make me happy because I thought I have to be miserable. I was heartbroken without any doubt, but for some reason I couldn't smile. I thought what's the acceptable amount of time for me to be able to smile and be happy again? And my mum never wanted me to be miserable. You know, So the acceptable time is when you see something that makes you smile, smile. When something great happens, celebrate no matter what's going on in your life. And I think this is a really important point. My husband said to me really early days on this, two things happen. I remember in the moment of finding out, right, so 3 o'clock in the morning, worst time of your life. In my hysteria, I remember saying out loud, I don't remember much, but I do remember saying, I don't want this to change me. I mean, it will forever affect me, but I don't want to let it change the magic of me. And I'm not saying I'm magical compared to everybody else. We all have our own magic. No, you've got your magic is what you're saying. Yeah, and I just didn't want it to change that. And only a few days later, my husband was saying, like, just don't take on these socially imposed norms that you have to be miserable for a certain period of time or wear black or do this or not do that. Just do what feels okay and that does make you happy. Yep. Right, because for four years my son was an addict and I – was grieving for four years. I was yep. miserable and hurt for four years, not just yep. since January. And it was his choice to end his life. So it's not something that you need to feel guilty about or responsible for. Obviously, you had an open communication line with him, so you knew where it was at. He made that choice. So, I mean, that doesn't make it any easier, but it also doesn't make you responsible. And mm-hmm. I think that's a big thing, isn't it? Like, I'm sure as a parent, you've got what to if, feel guilty. Yeah. You're responsible. What if, could have, should have. If I'd not done that, if I had done this, we all do the best with what we know and what we have. And I tried with everything in me. And I'll have to say there were people that have said directly to me, how could you have let this happen? You're a behavioural scientist. Why didn't you know? Oh, my Uh, gosh. Did you slap them? Because point them out and I'll slap them for you. (laughs) So much ignorance in that. Only one, so look, I got thousands of messages and I didn't reply to many at all because, you know, they were a great distraction in those first couple of days and I didn't reply to many. Most of them were lovely and very supportive. But this person, they got me. They got me in a moment of, okay, you want to know? <laughs> so they got, you gave it to them. 
it was a learning moment for them. <laughs> Let's call it that. Yes. Or sometimes you've just got to let them have it, <laughs> don't you? It's like, you're right, there's an ignorance and lack of awareness that people have and they think they're saying the right thing and they think they're helping you in some way, shape or form, but they're pretty clueless and particularly someone who's yeah. just lost their son. Anyway, Liz, let's have another quick break and come back and wrap up this wonderful conversation. Okay. Hi, I'm Dr. Liz Wilson, and I'm the person to help you make rapid progress toward achieving your diversity and inclusion goals. And as the inventor of the aid inclusion needs of all people, you can be assured all identities and all intersectionalities will be addressed and included at the same time, so no one is left out. So whether you need an inclusion strategy, an action plan, toolkits, workshops, coaching, a contract consultant, or a speaker for an event, please get in touch. You can find me on LinkedIn or email me, drliz at theincludeinc.com. All right, superstar. Thank you so much for your vulnerability in that last little section because that was challenging, I know. But again, you've got such a wonderful perspective on this. So it's great. So for everyone out there listening that are experiencing some kind of grief or trauma, it's okay to be happy. It's okay to find joy. Mm. It's okay to find things you're grateful for. It's okay. You deserve yeah. that. You don't deserve to be miserable. You need to I learn the lessons, as you yeah. said, find the positive, find the lesson, find what do I need to get from this, and then be grateful for that. And I think you've got to give yourself some forgiveness. You've got to forgive yourself for feeling a certain way. Like give yourself grace. It's all right. Like we're all just doing the best we know how. Yeah. And you don't have to force yourself to be miserable to grieve and remember someone. Yep. So you true. So I want to talk a little bit about inclusivity. And I think there's a great place to start, isn't it? When people think inclusivity, it's about including others. But what about including ourselves? What about inclusivity towards ourself? And that's really what you've just said then. So why don't we start there? How do people become more inclusive to themselves? They include themselves in this picture of what a wonderful person is or what joy is. Because I think so many people take themselves out of that picture because they don't think they're good enough, smart enough, funny enough, loving enough. And so they're not being very inclusive just in their own little personal space. Okay. I'm going to give you a really recent example because this was a self-observation of myself. I find out that Dom had died on the 27th of January. It was a Wednesday or a Thursday. And I was scheduled to do two very large engagements, one in Chicago and one in Boston the following week. I, in my infinite wisdom in those first days, thought I was still going to go and do that work because, you know, the funeral wasn't going to be for a week after that. Um, <laughs> obviously, that was some kind of grief brain thinking because that was never actually going to happen. So when I actually reached out to the clients to actually tell them that, look, I can't do this, I felt guilty that I was letting them down. 400 people at one event, 40 people at another event, I was letting them down. If I had have gone, can you imagine how messed up that would have made me? Like, yeah, absolutely. That would have been not including my needs. Yep. So when I went to them and told them why, I was really transparent and I just said, this is what's just happened. I don't know when I'll be ready to come back to work. As a guide, let's think rescheduling for March, but I can't be sure. And they all came back. Super lovely, super inclusive, fortunately, and moved the dates as a tentative. March came around 
and they touched base back with me and said, will you be ready this month? It wasn't a, this is the date. They were really just checking in on me. And so only last week did I have one of the events. It had been rescheduled, flew off to Chicago. And at the beginning of the workshop, there were 40 people. And I just said, I just want to say thank you for accommodating my needs. Told them what happened, created that safe space for them to know that this was the first time I was face-to-face in a workshop environment, not sure how things will unfold for me today. So I request your grace to include those needs. At the end of the workshop, now I didn't do that for any other reason but to have my needs met. I'll be very clear. Yep. And at the end, they thanked me for sharing my needs because they felt more able to have their needs met. There you go. That's the power of vulnerability. That's the mm-hmm. power of being honest about where you're at, even if you think it's not where you should be, I should be better or stronger. But when you're just open and honest about where you're at, you include people and you yeah. empower people and you give people permission to be them where they're at. And I think that's awesome. And I think that then just summarizes it down to where they talk about being authentic and transparent as leaders. And if you can be an authentic leader that is transparent and honest and create that safe space for your people, that is a perfect foundation for an inclusive environment. But also, again, I want to move this just out of that corporate space as well into Mm. the family. You're a leader in a family. You're a leader in a friendship. You're a leader in your partnership. In a sport team, in in anywhere. Absolutely. And again, we're talking about self-inclusivity at the moment and just that vulnerability with ourselves because we lie to ourselves all the time. We pretend Mm -hmm. we're okay. No, no, I'm all right. I'm all right. We're trying to kid ourselves to be a way that we feel like society would expect us to be or accept us. Mm. So we've got to just be more vulnerable and real and genuine in every respect, I think. And obviously there are certain things you don't share with certain groups and certain people. However, I think that the more honest you can be and vulnerable, the better. That was a great example. So thank you for that. Now, Liz, how do we include others? Because again, we live in this incredibly diverse world and there's so much diversity Uh everywhere. I had an experience quite recently where I was shopping. I went to Bali earlier this year and I was meeting up with my ex-wife who lives over there now. And I had her on the phone and she wanted me to bring over some skincare. So I was at the pharmacy, the drugstore, the pharmacy, the drugstore. And she was on loudspeaker and I was trying to get help. And there was a person that worked at the pharmacy that was giving wonderful help. This person's name was Sam. And Sam, to me, looked like female. And I made the mistake of saying, Sam's our girl. And she looked at me with a really angry face and said, I'm not a girl, and turned her back and walked away. And I thought, oh, my gosh, how do you know and how do you speak and how do you include? When you look at someone and they look a certain way, these days you can't even presume. (laughs) Okay, I'm throwing that one in your bag. Yeah, no, I can. Liz, because how do you deal with that sort of stuff? I'm going to give you three really practical things. Firstly, assumption is the enemy of inclusion. So evolving as a society, we just need to stop making assumptions of other people, of who they are, how they identify, or what they need. So sure, that might seem complicated if I listed off there are about 54 identities. So if I said, you need to go and research and learn about 54 different identities so that you can include them, that's an impossible feat. Like, That's a university degree in itself. So I'm not suggesting that. You need to let go of assumptions, firstly. 
Secondly, a really practical way is to neutralize language. Yep. So it's literally neutralizing. It is just going to, I call people, people. Yep. Hi, people. Hi, everyone. I am still working on the term guys because that's a very Australian term and it's like our vocabulary. So hi, guys. Like that is one I'm working on and trying to eliminate. I'm struggling with the most. Because in America, these guys... That was male. That's male. masculine. Yeah. yeah. And it is in Australia too. We've got to remember we're just reinforcing norms. So we just yeah. have to get better at neutralizing language. Yeah. Don't take offense. It's not on you to take offense because you have to remove male or female because it doesn't offend you, but it might offend someone else. Yes. So just, hey, people, hey, peeps, hey, folks, I don't know, find your word that gang. works. I say gang. Yeah. I say team a lot. Yeah. So just find your term. Yep. Um, so neutralize language. And then what was the third one? it ties it all into making no assumptions. So how can I make this better for you? That's the question. So this, when I say this could be anything, how could I make this dinner better for you? How can I make this activity better for you? This meeting better for you? How do I make this environment better for you? Because that's taking the onus on the person that's already included. How do I make this experience better for you? Three very simple Very simple things. So no assumptions. None. Neutralize your language. Yes. And ask the question, how can I make this better for you? Correct. That's it. Too easy. I'm out of a job. You are out of a job. That's it. (laughs) How can a doctor make things so simple? You're supposed to complicate things, doc. I know. When I first submitted my paper to one of the academic journals, they sent the feedback back to me saying, this paper is too practical for us to publish. <laughs> oh, okay. People will understand this. It's no good. Yes. That's oh, hilarious. That's a great compliment. I'll go find another journal then. That's so good. Good on you. So, Dr. Liz, how do people find you? How do people reach out to you? How do people connect with you? How do people learn from you? How do people be inspired by you? How do people chat to you if they want to? Well, the most simple way, of course, is just to look for Dr. Liz on LinkedIn. If you're a podcast listener, which you probably are because you're listening, listening to a podcast, to yep. podcast, I have included with Dr. Liz. And in fact, that could be tip four, because getting to know people that are different to you is an exceptional way to start releasing assumptions and learning how to include the needs of other people. So include with Dr. Liz is on all your normal podcast streaming services and it's also a video podcast on YouTube and Spotify. And your website is theincludeinc.com. Correct. There you go. I knew that. <laughs> Liz, thank you so much for your time. It's been a wonderful conversation and I'm very grateful for everything you've shared. And I send you lots of love and good vibes and all the way across to the other side of the world. Have a beautiful birthday, the rest of it. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for making the space for me today. You're welcome. Thanks for filling that space so beautifully. (laughs) That was a wonderful conversation. And Dr. Liz, if you're listening to this, hope you had a wonderful birthday. Hope your hubby took you out and did something special. Thank you so much for sharing so openly, so vulnerably, so honestly, all of your struggles. And obviously that heartbreak losing your son is absolutely tragic but how you've handled it and how you're moving on and how you're using that to fuel your purpose is very, very inspiring. So well done. What a wonderful conversation. And let me tell you that Dr. Liz is well worth connecting with. Certainly you now know her birthday's the 27th of March. So you'll be able to put that in your calendar and send her a message every single year. 
go to her website, theinclude.com, and you'll find more out about Dr. Liz. You can find Include with Dr. Liz on all the social media platforms, and I would really recommend that you reach out to her. Thanks for being with me again this week. It's been a wonderful conversation, a powerful conversation, and I hope you got a lot out of it. I know I certainly did. I will be back next week with another incredible guest, and I hope you'll be with me. I hope you'll share this podcast because the more people that get to listen to this message, the better this world will be and the greater the ripple effect we can all have. Thanks again. I'll be with you next week. My name's Andrew Jobling. This is the Wellness Puzzle Podcast. 